Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome back to a new episode of the Have We Made It Yet podcast. I am, yeah, I am a comedian Josh Yang. And I'm the actor Lucas Ng. And uh, we are back again with another guest that I'm very excited about um, later on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, of course, you know, because we're in the process of trying to make it, both Lucas yes. and I are, are relatively new, We've only just started uh, mm-hmm. within the last year. We usually ask uh, each other at the beginning of this podcast, hey, Lucas, have you made it yet? Oh, was that the throw to me? Yeah, that's the throw to you. That's... Oh, okay, cool. Um, no, I have not. All right. But auditions are picking up, and I had a pretty good one that I submitted for today. Okay, that's and, good. And actually kind of cool, as we were doing the preamble for our guest and also for you and I, I just got the email that I got called back. Oh, no way. Yeah. Oh, breaking it live. Breaking it live, man. Breaking First it live week. on the podcast. Oh, sweet. Okay, that's good. Hey, you're, yeah. make, you're getting closer to making it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so things are on the move, which feels good. Yeah. And it's damn hot right now, too. So it feels it like things hot. are heating up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes, they are. Uh, Mr. Josh Yang, though. Yeah. Have you made it yet? No, no, I haven't. I have not made it yet. However, this is kind of leading into our guest for, for the, the evening. <laughs> the podcast okay. is, um, it has all, it's almost very close to a year since I first uh, performed stand-up a year ago. This was mid-July last year. Um, after taking the LOL comedy class up at Absolute Comedy uh, in Eglinton in Toronto, and uh, it was the grad class last year. So this was after like doing six, seven weeks of, of class practice, writing material. This was the first time in front of an audience right. that I was able to perform. <laughs> and um, as part of that class, since it's almost close to a year, I decided to ask uh, one of the teachers actually of that class to come on to the podcast. So I'm very excited to, to have this uh, this teacher, this, he's a professional working comic. Nice. Uh, he's been in the game for a while. He's uh, performed on national television for the Winnipeg Comedy Festival. Uh, he was on CBC Radio's The wow. Debaters. Uh, yes, and performed at the Just for Laughs uh, Comedy Festival. Wow. He's also worked in the writer's room of uh, Kim's Convenience before. And his first comedy album was actually released earlier this year. It's called First Generation comedian and i was actually lucky to to go to his um one of his album recording shows at the second city Mm -hmm. so please welcome joe vu here i am (laughs) (laughs) there he is yes joe vu welcome uh i would say sensei welcome to 
welcome to the lowly uh, students podcast but uh yeah how have you been you know pretty quiet and chill uh i was just talking to you guys earlier my place is you can see it's just completely white it's just blank yeah. house right now i'm in the middle of a move so yeah a lot of people seem to be seem to be moving these days um but yeah so okay so we always ask our guests right off the top keep leave it out in the open throw it out there in the ether so joe vu have you made it yet you know like i think to other people i haven't made it yet like but Mm. in my opinion like what i want i feel like i've made it like as far as i want to be you know because i feel like all the time people want to go further or get to the top. I'm yeah. okay with just being able to make a living. You know, that's, you got to be happy at some point and, yeah. and, and just like live your life rather than constantly trying to climb. So yeah. I'm at the level where I'm happy and I've made it in my eyes. Wow. Yeah. wow. Lucas, do you, uh, that's I'm, our, that's our first that's I was going to say, am I the first person to say that's that our, I, I made that's it? Our, yeah. That's our first guest that said uh, that they've made it. Yeah, yeah. I know. Oh, Honestly, yes. we, should, we, should, we should have prepared for that. We should have had confetti yeah. around these balloons. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, something uh, like that. Oh, America's Got Talent, like Golden Buzzer. Confetti yeah. comes down. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's a milestone. It's a milestone. Um, <laughs> but that's, yeah, that's great. We've, we've had a, a lot of uh, different guests up on the show, like starting out, have been in it for a few years as well. And it's, mm-hmm. it's like they've said, before is like just being able to you know do what they love to do and make a living off but i mean that's lucas one of lucas's goal um yeah he said before um and i'm wondering when you first started out like was that also kind of your goal um when you were like working as a copywriter you started doing some stand-up comedy was that kind of your expectation of what you felt like you wanted making it to be yeah like I, i had a couple like uh I had a five-year plan, you know, like I, I wrote out nice. what my goals were every year. Uh, and some of them I was, I was actually faster and some of them I was, I still haven't even reached actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I had stuff like uh, be a headliner, absolute comedy, hadn't reached that. And that was before, like, I thought I might get that before I would get something like just for laps. Right. You know, or, or like uh uh, living off, living off uh, comedy completely, stuff like that. So, like the orders mixed up, but yeah, I had a five-year plan, and and I think I've besides the absolute comedy thing, I've reached everything I want. I mean, there's there's future things. Like I was I, I was planning to like move to the states, move to to New York. Um, I even had like uh, settle down, meet like outside of comedy stuff. I haven't reached that either, but like comedy-wise, mm. I. I I think now that I've been in it long enough, I'm okay with not going to the States and I've, I've made it for the things I want. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yo, that's, that's, that's great to hear. Like planning it out within five years. That's, I, I'm not too sure. Like, I, I mean, just that idea itself is already really tough for kind of comedy or even like acting, right? It's because it's yeah. always sometimes so subjective. You never know what is going to pop, what isn't going to pop. So, so, um, I'm wondering then like on your list, what was one of the first things that like you realized that, Oh, I got this opportunity. I actually feel like I'm making it. This feels like momentum. Yeah. I think it was like, um, 
like there's certain roles uh, within absolute comedy before you can get the headliner. So it'd be like, you start off as an opener, then there's a middle, short, short middle, then like, like half middle and middle and then host and then headline, headliner. And so as, as I was climbing that, I was already getting to certain parts. And I, and I felt like writing the goals is really important because if you don't know what you want, then you can't even plan out how to get like you're not going to ever get there, right? Because you, you need to be proactive to get to the steps you want to get to. So. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, I think one of the the pitfalls of being more creative minded is that you're not so process focused, I guess. But having like a five year plan, I guess, is really beneficial for you. Uh, doing that kind of exercise was that something that your own character uh, was always geared towards? Uh, I, I think. One of my, like at the time I was in advertising and one of my friends paid like $500 to go to a life coach. And I was like, what did you get out of it? And he's like, well, basically I paid $500 for them to tell me like, I need to set out goals. I was like, okay, I saved 500 bucks. And I'll just set out my goals. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh man. And how, how long were you in um, advertising for? Mm -hmm. uh, close to seven years. It's, it's pretty odd. Cause like throughout my life, I've had many jobs. Mm. And, and you know how they, they have like that seven year itch in marriages and stuff. Right. I feel like I feel that way with jobs. I always would tire of whatever I was doing after seven years and, and wonder if there's something different out there that's more for me. Mm -hmm. and, and it's always been like that. And then uh, comedy stand up's been the only thing that I passed, you know, seven years now and I'm still in love with it. So yeah, that's great. Yeah. Like I remember one, uh, you, you have an ongoing episode just asking, uh, you had one YouTube video was like, is stand-up comedy for you? Yeah. And then you list out the um, kind of the positives that you felt while going into comedy. Um, what, in your opinion, has made you continually want to go back to comedy and that has surpassed your seven-year itch? I think it's the, the instant feedback mm -hmm. of your writing. Mm -hmm. Like, all my job, well, most of my jobs have been to do with writing, but you don't get that live interaction and the instant feedback, and it just feels really, really good. And obviously, that's missing this since uh, the coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, uh, Zoom doesn't quite do it, but yeah, maybe maybe it's kind of also reinvigorated how much I miss stand-up because I don't have it now too. Mm. So that probably makes me miss it even more because. Uh, I haven't done it in like months and months. Yeah, how, how's, uh, how's quarantine been for you? Yeah, it's, it's shitty. You know, I, I've been trying to keep myself busy. I, I'm trying to be creative in other ways just because yeah. I think artists need to have that outlet somehow. And I don't have stand-up for me, so I've been trying to do YouTube videos and stuff like that. It's just not the same. It's like I miss the, the live aspect of it, the, the, the laughs that are like right in front of me, the new people yeah. and all that stuff. Have you have you been tempted to do any of the Zoom uh, the Zoom uh, shows? I, I did one. I, I did a show, uh, and it wasn't Zoom. Like I've heard Zoom's actually better because if people don't mute themselves, you can hear the laughs and stuff. Right. But I did one where it was like they only see me. I don't hear them or see them. Whoa. So I'm just basically doing stand up to my webcam and with no feedback at all, and it feels weird. But yeah. at the same time, my heart was racing because I hadn't done stand-up for like a month and a half. Yeah. It was scary as hell. and Yeah, but it was exhilarating. I still had an all right time, but after it was done, I was like, uh, 
I miss real comedy, stand up comedy. I know it's um it's one of those things where like I was I'm actually I was disappointed because I was so excited getting into this summer because I felt like I'd got maybe five minutes and then I can work on more material and then literally the only thing that could potentially stop the comedy scene happens because like the comedy hasn't stopped for decades when even the worst shit would happen in the world and this is the one thing so I felt really like down on my luck on that and like comedians like such as yourself who have been working for seven years 10 years 20 years this is the first time they've had any time off yeah so yeah I, I, it must suck for you because like you're you're getting the ball rolling that the beginning role is like yeah. you have so much uh passion right now right and like so much creativity to get, and you want to, you're like in the testing phase too and like trying to find what what to say and now you're like blocked it sucks and i feel like stand up will be one of the last things that will start up again yeah because mm. First of all, like entertainment is going to take long to come back, but us specifically, like people shooting out air, laughing out of their mouths, like that's, it's like, we'll, we'll be after like singers and after like sports even, you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause like the rooms are small, it's dark. Yeah. I mean, it feels dingy, so it just doesn't feel like there's airflow. So it's just going to be just yeah. a hive of. We are literally the worst profession. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have you have you been um, in terms of like I guess writing new material? Have you been able to like at least try to keep that muscle going? I've I've written a few jokes, but it's it's just hard to be self motivated. Like hmm. even while things were good, yeah. Because I have no hours, no boss, no anything. You have to stay self disciplined, and and I I could I could barely do that because every time I got to test out my stuff, but now it's like there's no reward. Like I can't, yeah. I write something and then it's just there, you know, I can't go out and test it, get my heart racing, get those laughs. So it's just hard to stay motivated. In terms of that delay between, um, between now that, now that you write jokes still, but you don't have that, uh, instant, uh, instant, what do you call it? Instant feedback about how your jokes are going. Uh, you also work as a writer, right? In writer's rooms and everything. And in terms of how jokes are being written in a writer's room and how they are eventually filmed and everything, how, what was the difference between doing stand-up and working in a writer's room then? I feel like a writer's room is similar to like working in an office at like when I used to do copywriting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just basically you report to one, one person that's higher up to you mm-hmm. and, and they decide what they like that you've written. Mm-hmm. Right? So like in advertising, uh, we would get briefed on the client and what angle they're looking for. And then I would just like write a hundred headlines, uh, pitching whatever angle they want. And then I'd give it to my creative director and he would choose whichever line he likes the best. Same thing in the, in the writer's room. Like I was there mainly for punch up, uh, which I feel is, is congruent with standup comics. Like if we had one ability, it's not going to be like plot structure or anything like that. It's just like yeah. making up a, a line funny or whatever. Right. So they would give me like, oh, these are the lines that uh, we need to work on. We feel like they're not funny enough. Can you give alternative punchlines to it? So then again, you would just like write a ton of lines. You would pass it on to like a head writer mm-hmm. or co-creator or whatever. And then he would decide if he likes the lines or not. So it's similar to, to like a regular job at, in advertising rather than stand-up comedy. Stand-up mm-hmm. comedy, you know, just spend the day writing whole jokes and stuff. And then you go out and test it on like 
a group of 50, 50 to 100 people out there. Yeah. 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 I always, I always found the writing on uh, Kim's Convenience to be very tight. It was very um, snappy and, and um, getting right to the jokes. It's, it's very structured yeah. that way. I'm, I'm wondering as well, since it is like one of the few, you know, full Asian cast, that's the focus, that's the family in the main part. Um, like through your experience, punching up some of the lines for them, were you, were you able to like put a bit more of your perspective, you know, as in one of the few Asian comics, um, well, I guess one of the few professional working Asian comics in can the Canadian industry, like were you able to do that as well? able to like infuse kind of my voice yeah uh i feel like they had things pretty well like they had really talented people and things under mm. control like uh, i feel like they handle things mostly themselves i barely mm. help at all i'm not gonna take like hardly any credit at all <laughs> i yeah. don't even know if any of my punch-ups got through to the final things so mm. uh but yeah i feel like I, I i i tried to help i don't know if my voice affected in the show itself at all yeah so yeah so that is an interesting element of the writer's room that i i think is a, pretty foreign to a lot of like new comics as well starting out mm -hmm. because i guess my interpretation of the writer's room is like oh if you're one of the writers on there you sit in there i guess for the entire time like you write out an entire episode or, or mm -hmm. something but a lot of the times it's very different for for professional comics so for like your time in the writer's room it was how long was it? It was only for like a little bit of time, right? Uh, okay, so like for the punch-up stuff, it yeah. was like uh, like a week. Um, mm. But I was I was also in there uh, two other sessions, and it, it it was like plotting out possible episodes oh, okay. um, and pitching like story ideas and stuff. Nice. So we you know you would we would dig into our own personal stories. So. Um, they would like we would go to the writers room. There would be like okay, we don't have that many stories for this character can you uh you know brainstorm on your own come back and you pitch your ideas so there was also that too and that i did that for two sessions and then nice. the, the last session was for punch-up but generally i think they get stand-up comics for punch-up oh okay and then the, i guess they would just have staff writers on the tv show for the filling in yeah the, for writing scripts and, mm. and 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 idea generation and stuff like that yeah generation yeah oh okay cool and i guess that was that was one of the things um you guys mentioned because you and the other teacher in the lol comedy class uh fuad hp another great stand-up comic uh in toronto like you guys did mention that having written for some tv shows is like as a stand-up comedian you do kind of want to be able to have enough skill writing that if you were in those writers rooms they would put you to work for like a full day you have to be able to come up with with material exercising that muscle um and i think that's one of the benefits that i got out of the class was being forced to to do that um how did you guys like start doing the class like what gave you the idea to to put that out there as as something you guys wanted to do like i've always kind of been nerdy about my stand-up uh i don't know if you watched my videos on YouTube, but like I have a little series about like stand-up comedy and like learning it and stuff like that too. And it kind of parallels some of the things we taught in class. So yeah. at one point, like uh, I wanted to write a book about stand-up comedy mm -hmm. and I had like all the chapters ready and I kind of wrote point form what I would talk about. Um, and then I was looking at it and I was like, you know, like I could probably teach a class. Mm. And uh, I talked to Foet about it. We're, we're pretty close. We grew up in the scene together. 
Yeah. And he's close with the, the owner of Absolute Comedy. And he's like, let me pitch it to uh, Jason, the owner of Absolute, uh, if we could t- use if we could use the, the building and, and stage, because we felt like it'd only be, it'd be like very useful for students to be able to, during the, because at Second City, the other option that people have to take a stand-up comedy class, mm-hmm. you basically just workshop your jokes in, the, in a classroom. And it's not till like the grad show, you mm-hmm. suddenly get to be on, on an actual real stage. Yeah. Perform. And we're like, it'd be so useful if they just, if we, our students just got to use the stage every week, that'd be amazing. Then they won't have, they won't be as scared when the actual time comes, like things like how bright the light is or like yeah. the, the standing, where to stand on the stage and all that. So we talked to Jason, if we could use his building and how much it would cost. And he was like, well, let's just set up a deal, you know, like uh, I'll let you use the, uh, my club during the afternoons but everything that, but you have to have a grad show and I, I take all the money from the grad show. Like I get, I get all the food and drinks yep. and I get, let's say do, do a small amount of ticket sales and I'll get to keep that too. And I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds like a good deal. Like free rent for us and he gets a free show. So, yeah. And, and students benefit also a ton absolutely. by getting stage experience for seven weeks or whatever. Absolutely. Like, the 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 amount of money I spent on that ver- versus like how much I learned and just the mere fact of practicing on stage I think that was the biggest hurdle for me was yeah. that even when I started getting the idea when, once I moved to Toronto and seeing the scene was big enough mm-hmm. I was always hesitant to go on stage just because I didn't want to go up there and like not know what I was doing let alone have to tell jokes I want to at least go up there know the setup, be at least familiar with that a bit, and then actually work on the jokes. And that was the single, you know, greatest thing I, I managed to take out of out of that class. And I highly recommend it um, to anybody who's uh, who's potentially interested in doing as well. I know for you guys, you definitely had to like adjust the program a little bit, right? Because now you're on, you're doing Zoom um, kind of sessions oh. of the class. We just had our first Zoom class, yeah. After like... Telling, telling you guys how good having a stage is for six, seven, eight, <laughs> and like, yeah, I, I have these Zoom classes and you don't get any experience on stage. We just talk on Zoom, but uh, uh, it's, you got to make do. Yeah, yeah, yeah you got you to gotta make do. And, we did hey, slash the price to, oh, to make up for that. Yeah. Okay. I guess, yeah, that makes sense. And then I guess the grad class would be kind of like a grad Zoom performance? Yeah, grad Zoom, grad Zoom yeah. performance? Okay. And yeah, you... you I mean, like, you can't do stand-up right now, but at least you got the full class experience. You got all that stage time and yeah. performed in front of real people, like live people, I mean. Yeah, and if anything, like, for those students, depending on when bars even come back, like, that could be the only way that they could try doing, you yeah. know, comedy anyways through Zoom. Yeah, for through, sure. like, different, different, like, shows like that. Um, and that was actually one of the other things about the class that really kind of enticed me a bit more was that I had saw, like when I first moved to Toronto in 2018, um, your clip of, at the Winnipeg Comedy Festival popped up on Facebook. And I, I noticed uh, on your own YouTube channel, you did met, talk about that as well. I think it might have been the exact same clip that caught my attention. It was like, it popped up, it blew up on Facebook. And that was the first time I saw some of your material. And I was like, yeah. oh, I haven't seen, I didn't even think of that. I didn't even realize this. I hadn't seen an Asian comic 
in like a Canadian, you know, comedy setting, whether it was one of the, the major national televised shows in a while, I was like, oh, this is a, an Asian male comic. This is somebody I can relate to. I didn't, I, I liked the material. And then later on when my friend Arsalan, who's been on the podcast as well, um, like he did the your your class beforehand. I saw it, and then I saw that you guys were actually teachers. I was like, perfect. Like Joe would be a guy that I could ask a bit more about. Yeah, you know what it's like being an Asian male, pers- having the Asian male perspective when doing comedy. So, I guess that's an area I want to um, kind of delve into a little bit, like how you found in your seven years of experience what it's like being an Asian comic and talking about like problems of the, the Asian guy, Asian male. Yeah, when, when I first started, uh, there wasn't that many Asian stand-up comics in Toronto. Even mm-hmm. in the, like the open mic scene, mm-hmm. I think there was like two or three or so. Now there's like 30, 40, maybe 50, you know, there's tons of Asians doing stand-up and it's great. Uh, but yeah, when I started, it was just, it was like me and Leonard, you know, the guy I got yeah. mixed up for all the time. Uh, <laughs> and, and I don't know, I, I don't know, but I felt like maybe it was just in my head, but I felt like the, the scene was very cliquey mm-hmm. and it was like a kind of like a white boys club. And like, I would go to a lot of open mics and I would know everyone's name, but no one would remember me. And I'm like, I'm, mm. I, I'm not terrible. Like. Yeah, yeah. I, I forget people's names if they're shitty comics, but I'm like, am I a shitty comic? And I'm like, I, I don't think I am. But like, yeah, no one would remember me. I, I, I wouldn't be able, I wouldn't hang in the groups and stuff. It took like, it took someone outside of the scene to validate me. So like, oh. so I would, I would do, you know, I would be in the scene doing open mics, going out, seeing my peers. And my peers didn't really accept me. And then uh, there was like, they have these things called showcases. It's basically how you get into a, a comedy festival, like Just for Laughs or the Winnipeg Comedy Festival. And it, it would be like, um, like a comedy club owner might run a showcase or, or like a, a small independent comedy place might have a showcase. And so the guy at uh, the Rivoli uh, oh, who yeah. runs like a weekly comedy thing he he seen me do stand up and he like was a big fan and stuff and he was like I'll put you on my Winnipeg slash Just for Laughs showcase and that was like that was a huge thing because that was a part of my five year plan and like not for to make it for a long time yeah um, but yeah so he gave me a chance and he's not in the scene like he's not a stand up comic right oh. he just he just runs the show so mm. someone outside of like my peers saw me liked my comedy, gave me a chance. And then once I got uh, into a festival, which was, I didn't get it in my first year showcasing. Did I get it in the second? I either, I either got in the second or the third year showcasing. Mm-hmm. And then once I got into the comedy festival, then I was kind of in, in the scene and like part of the scene oh. and stuff like that. And that's because one, the comedy producer booked me and then a festival saw talent in me and, mm-hmm. and booked me. And then the scene accepted me. So I don't know. I don't know if it was a race thing or a shyness thing in, in myself or, right, or, right. or maybe I wasn't good enough or I don't know. But it felt like if I had been white, I don't know if I'm blaming it on race, but 
I feel like it would have been easier. Mm, that's interesting. Like, yeah. I guess to a certain degree, like last week we talked with um, an Asian actor, Kent, and we mm-hmm. talked a little bit about kind of Asian representation in kind of the gatekeepers a little bit in agencies and for acting, like having Asian representatives as like agents even um, seemed like a, a bit of a tough it's thing, a, like not too yeah. many. It's a foreign thing really to have an Asian agent. Yeah. yeah. So I would imagine like, I guess that kind of the gatekeeper system, like it's hard to tell when you're going to get a shot because there's yeah. so few gatekeepers. Like for some reason, maybe one might, might pick you out uh, like mm-hmm. your stuff and then give you that opportunity. Um, so f- then like for that as well, in ter- when you started out, did you talk a lot about kind of your Asian perspective in a scene, I guess that was predominantly still like kind of a white guys, you know, uh, comedy <laughs> scene. Like, did you try to infuse more Asian comedy or did you try to do more broad um, type of perspective? I think I, I think I started out pretty broad, you know, yeah. I kind of like, Want, just wanted to fit in and, and do what I thought would work. <laughs> uh, like when I first started, I would, I would try to, I swore a lot. It just wasn't like me. I wasn't right. real me. I tried yeah. to be edgier. I talked about stuff like, I thought if I said um, full blown AIDS was real, like adding full blown <laughs> in was super funny. It's like, yeah, just saying AIDS is not that, that's funny as full blown AIDS. And yeah, I was, I, I, tr- I was not myself. Um, hmm. And, I think I talked about the same topics like the scene talked about, mm. uh, but it wasn't until I started talking about being Asian and my culture and my parents and stuff was that's when the gatekeepers kind of liked me, right? And booked me and saw me, maybe they saw I had a unique voice. Yeah. So yeah. then I got into the showcases and then I got into the festivals because I guess I had a unique perspective. I do have to say, like, one of my favorite bits is when you started um, saying how hard it is to complain to immigrant parents. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, there's a 40% chance of snow. I I don't want to ruin your joke at all. But then your dad had a good counter about how hard his journey was to get you to Canada and everything. Yeah. Um, So in terms of that kind of immigrant voice that you have, is is that something, something even more special that you hold dear in terms of your content that you have? Yeah, I want to talk about these things, you know, I, I feel like, especially since, like I said, at the beginning, there wasn't a lot of Asian stand-ups, I felt like, uh, kind of like this weight to represent uh, us fairly and and not devolve into just stereotypes about like talking about a small dick or whatever, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, I, like I, I had, I had a small dick joke. Uh, it was in defense of it uh, and, and saying it's not true and, and <laughs> like I have a whole thing and, and, and it works and, and it's not it's not saying we do it's saying the opposite but in my mind like even saying that we don't will get people to think that we uh, do or like maybe he's defensive so I, I even purposely left it out of my album because I, I didn't want to be like five years down the road and be like in my first comedy album I had a joke about small dicks, even though it was saying that we don't stuff like that. I think about all the time and like kind of the responsibility I have and what I'm, what am I projecting into people's minds when they think about Asian comedy or Asian comics, you know? Yeah. I tried to not talk about the same topics that, that would be a stereotype or whatever, or talk down negatively about Asians or whatever. 
Mm-hmm. Is that like a weight of responsibility that you feel though? Because uh, I'm not sure if like other Caucasian uh, comics would would have that weight of responsibility to yeah. not. And, yeah. I think I think they they don't. And I know I, I I feel I know like Leonard does. We talk about that stuff all the time. We you know we we bounce things off each other, being like, is this something I should say or not? You know. So. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I would. I would imagine, like, as you get more recognition, you you gain more of a following. That's going to be even more important in how you kind of craft what you put out there. Because a lot of stuff, you know, that comedians put out in the first few years, a lot of that is just ends up being trash, and like you never see it ever again. Um, yeah. When it when it came to like curating your first album, and and the first album is usually pretty. A pretty big deal for a lot of new new comics because this is like everything you've kind of done up until that point when curating that like how did you how was that process for you because you knew this was going to be an important milestone yeah um you know i thought about a lot about the album uh, i tried to like infuse even like ideas from other areas like screenwriting into mm-hmm. it so so that the, the gimmick behind the album is that it's, it's semi-chronological. So like the, the album, the earlier in the albums, the earlier in my, in my career. So as you listen to the album, you hear me progress throughout my uh, seven years or so of doing stand-up comedy. And I start out being kind of like very self-deprecating mm-hmm. and like shitting on myself and like, and then gaining some confidence and then kind of like by the end of it, my character has grown not only in comedy, but also as a person and I have confidence yeah. now and there's a little bit of success by the end of the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, and have you guys read the, the book Save the Cat? Save the Cat? Oh. It's like a screenwriting book? Yeah, I was I was looking into screenwriting like during this, this whole COVID thing as well. And that was one of the books that, um, uh, that it was suggested to me. There was another one like Sid, Meyer or Sid yeah uh, somebody Sid something screen- right yeah his uh, his screenwriting book but yeah it's, was that one of the ones you read so I read that and and it had concept like save the cat which basically is like if you want your character to be liked that you you have a moment early in the screen screenplay where uh, they do something that will endear the audience to them like literally saving a cat from a right. tree or whatever so uh, so it made sense that my self-deprecation, self-deprecated stuff was at the beginning and like me telling stories about like doing good and stuff. Mm-hmm. So like I would, I, there's so many things I thought like how to balance which jokes and put what, where and when and stuff like that. And yeah, the whole progression and having a, a character arc to have like a win by the end of it and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, um, I was lucky enough to be able to go to one of your, one of your recording shows and, and chat to you a little bit afterwards um as well and like you you did you could see that because it was like 40 maybe 50 out 50 minute long show and then yeah. from the beginning it was nice for me because i'd seen a lot of your material up in that point and there were some bits i hadn't seen before so like seeing yeah. that progression was was really interesting to me and like i i, li- I love the cover art as well because the cover oh, art because you. you put it it is it's like as it's like the evolution in darwin like the evolution of um starting from like little fish out of water into into man into pre prehistoric man and then it just goes to you like going from i forgot what the beginning was but then it ends yeah. up being like a doctor right before yeah, going so, into uh, yeah, a, so the swap, yeah it just swaps the professions yeah 
And like my dad was a doctor, so I put my dad below me, just one step below me. <laughs> and then it's the stand-up comic as like the, uh, the fully evolved man. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I think it starts off, it was like, uh, it's, it's the jobs like that Asian parents usually want for their kids, right? Yeah. So it'd be like, I think it was like a, a violinist, or maybe it was like an accountant first, and then a violinist, then a doctor, then yeah. a stand-up comic as the fully evolved man. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I also um, noticed you started stand-up comedy when you're like in your 30s and everything like that. Yeah. Um, we know through this discussion that uh, you had your career as a copywriter before, but what what did want to make you start a little bit later in life? Uh, you know, like like all my jobs had something to do with comedy. I, I think I, I didn't r- realize that stand-up comedy was an option because I'm I'm shy and an introvert and all that. So I never thought, oh, maybe I should try to be a stand-up comic. So I never, so I just did jobs that were semi like it. Like advertising mm-hmm. is, is kind of like you writing one-liners, uh, set up punchline, set up punchline for headlines, for products and stuff. Mm-hmm. But then one day I was, uh, I did a speech as a best man for my, my friend's wedding. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, just, and I roasted him. Nice. I think I roasted him like I roasted him so hard that I think he got mad enough to not talk to me for a while. But get out of here! Like, it was like legend, and like people would talk about. That's like they would bring up. Oh, remember your friend in that roast? That was so funny. Yeah. But like he was not because he met he had a lot of family flying in from different countries that he's never Ooh, met before. Right. Um, I think that there was a punchline and it's not even a big thing i just think he has a conservative family but the fact that i said porn uh really like embarrassed him but oh the laughs i got oh so good so worth it oh man yeah like the asian families like you was really hit or miss so you don't really if anything i feel like an asian an all asian like family show that um if you were to do comedy in front of that could be like the riskiest yeah environment you don't know it wasn't oh, an Asian one. Yeah, he, he's, oh. uh, he's from the Netherlands. Okay, so then that's and me. She, and she's Jewish. That's an interesting dynamic, actually. <laughs> I just, I was assuming, I was projecting. Yeah, that don't, I thought don't, it, don't assume uh, all true. my friends are Asian. That is true. Oh, you, ca- you caught me there. You caught me there. Yeah. Oh, then that's, that's a, wow, that's a pretty uh, funny funny scene then so that so everybody more or less like the crowd was like into it and then it was kind of yeah. like your friend was like oh, this is not what i thought was gonna happen <laughs> i ran it by his brother i ran it by <laughs> his other best friend they're all like yeah and he's like of course they'll say yeah they want to embarrass yeah. me too everyone wants to laugh at me ah <laughs> uh, okay How'd but you guys yeah it was that something re- like uh i said because so. he kind of has like this heart condition and this was like a true story of what i was recounting and yeah. i was like because i used to live with them in the basement yeah. And I was like, so one day, like, uh, you know, Cliff, his name's Cliff. I won't say his last name to, to save him from that, <laughs> but he, uh, I know he cares a lot for his family. Yeah. And, and, and also his friends. One day I was like in the basement with him and he actually like collapsed. Like he, he clutched his heart and he collapsed. And oh. I was holding him in my arms and he was like, he looked up at me and he was like, Joe, you know, like, I almost died there. If something were to ever happen to me, I need you to do something for me. And my eyes are welling. I'm almost crying. Like, yeah, I'll do anything for you. You're my best friend. Like, whatever it is, I'll do it. And he's like, I need you to. If I ever 
pass away, go into my computer and delete all my porn. Right? And that's all I said. And, and it's yeah. just a joke. I, I'm not saying he's he watches porn a lot. Or, yeah. And he's just making a joke for me to delete. Like, this was an actual thing. He's, he doesn't remember saying it, too. He's like, I never oh. said that. Too. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, shit. But I was like, I just, yeah. So he's like, I need you to delete my porn if I ever die. Right? So then I brought that up at, at the wedding. So, and then he was so embarrassed. Like, I looked over, he was all red. And, like, everyone was laughing. And I was, it was is great and not great yeah yeah i bet what because like you said like that was kind of one of the first times where you you were able to you were in front of an audience and you got a great reaction to it and like i totally agree being able to do like your first time and like getting that kind of reinforcement which is all which was also a great benefit of doing the class as well that the the grad show that we ended up doing was like a lot of friends and family so everybody got it everybody nobody was there to be like hey this guy sucks is like oh that's that's my cousin or like whatever but um but yeah like having that kind of positive reinforcement like i I think everybody nowadays they just really want to feel like they're doing something that they like and like the the littlest of positive reinforcement sometimes can really push people to to want to take a chance yeah we're really lucky and privileged you know to, to be able to go for it yeah um and especially, I guess, when I kind of projected myself a bit uh, on the wedding that it was an Asian family, because I was imagining this this type of like these type of things, actor, stand up comedy, entertainer is not usually accepted uh, with like Asian families. Like, can yeah. you speak a little bit about how, how that experience was like how yeah. your parents like uh, get on board? Yeah, it, it took like I quit my job in advertising and I, I lied to them for a year, hmm. not telling them that I stopped doing uh advertising yeah and and i I don't know if you saw the video have you seen the youtube video for it yeah so so like i would um continue because my parents would come and visit me to grab lunch Hmm. once in a while uh luckily i lived in a condo that was like three blocks away from work so every time they would be like we're coming to to grab lunch with you i'd run from home to work walk, (laughs) walk down the stairs as if i'm just coming down from work and I would be always, I would always tell them, make sure you call. Don't just show up because I'm really busy. I'm in meetings all the time. Yeah. And so they would call and I would come down the stairs. One time they got there, they were like, we're already outside across from the building. I had to time it. So like the streetcar, I'd be like running with the streetcar. So it blocked me from going. And then I would run into the building and the streetcar would pass. And then I would come down the stairs. But yeah, a year of me just saying like, yeah, everything is the same. And mm. then it was a year of like, and before I even quit, I was saving up money. I was not eating out. I was not going on vacations. I was just saving up a nest egg. And then after I quit, I was still doing like a part-time job as a waiter while I was doing stand-up comedy. So now I built up like a sizable amount of money that I could live off of. Even if I made $0 in stand-up comedy, I could live mm-hmm. for like two years or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So I had that plan and I told them like, I had lined up my job doing being a waiter and I presented all that to my parents and be like, look, I quit advertising, but I do stand up comedy, but I have this much money. I showed them by my bank statement. And I was like, wow. I have a job lined up as a waiter. You don't need to worry about me. And this is what I'm doing because I really enjoy it. And then they were like, okay, like if you want to go for it, we are still a little bit worried, but it sounds, it looks yeah. like you've thought about it kind of thing. Yeah. I think that's, 
especially with I guess Asian families like I kind of have a bit had a similar experience a little bit along those lines it's like I just think that when it comes down to it they just want to they're always worried about you so they just yeah. want to know that like you're at least taking um actionable being proactive and like making a plan about it like yeah i i when i went back last christmas home to to and i was able to do the amateur night um at the yuck yucks in in vancouver like i i felt like i should invite my parents because it's like am i just i should like i yeah. i don't necessarily like want to keep doing it and then say like not have share it with them mm-hmm. like i felt like maybe i had a responsibility a little bit to try and do that even though it was obviously a little uncomfortable doing it but then like after the show talking to my dad about it he gave me like his perspective on it and he was like you know kind of seeing the rest of the comedians there is like it's a tough it's a tough situation it's like i don't know if like you know it's it's so um easy or it's it's a great path to go into because like he's i could tell where he was coming from he was thinking is like it was also an amateur night so yeah. you know it w- it was hit or miss the quality and like i did pretty decent and at least he was like pretty happy about that but like kind yeah. of when he saw like the rest of it he got this this perception that was not the whole picture but like in his mind yeah. it was like just worried about what this kind of future would look like for me mm-hmm. and like we we talked about it and that kind of stuff but i imagine that's always the first thing asian parents would, would yeah think like about. money right and like yeah. do they need to worry about you like who are your peers yeah. so yeah that, I, that's brave of you to invite them so early on like yeah like uh, i think if i waited until i was almost a mid, almost the middle by the time they saw me because I just wanted their first time seeing me yeah. to be like and I, I invited them out like on a Friday or a Saturday like the best night mm. where I knew there would be like over 200 people mm-hmm. and the other comics were good and it would like be big laughs and stuff like that I just I, yeah I wonder what they would have done if it was like a smaller show or if my peers weren't funny or whatever but it sounds like you did well and I know like my, when, my, when my dad saw me, he saw how happy I was. And yep. he, he also saw how other people got my jokes. Yep. And it sounds like you did well. So he probably also saw how happy you were and yep. like that, that your, your, your thing is working. Hmm. I think, yeah, I think from the parents' perspective, a lot of the times, you know, it's just a matter of if you can see that there's a certain amount of passion in it, then it mm-hmm. can't be a bad thing, you know? Yeah. Like just being able to see that kind of fulfillment, I think I think it was it was good. It was nice of me. Uh, it was a nice feeling for me as well to see their their kind of reaction to. It. I wasn't sure if they would get the jokes because it was also the first time they would see me doing it live. And like since I moved out here to Toronto, because we, yeah. we used to live in Vancouver, there wasn't that much opportunity to for them to see me live. So I I figured I might as well like this is the one time I'm doing it in Vancouver. I managed mm. to to work it out so i felt like i kind of should give them this this chance to uh, to watch it and in the end i still think it was a it was a positive experience i think i think as asian kids you gotta yeah. try to put yourself out there with your parents what, just be- what, oh, sorry sorry i was gonna say what job are you coming from 
or what, what, what do you do regularly? Um, well, before I was working at, um, I was kind of the way when I moved to Toronto, I just came out of college. So I was, I moved out here to look for work. And like, I wasn't thinking about comedy at all when I moved out here. It was only when I realized the scene was here. I knew about your comedy class. Um, when I got a job working at a startup, like I started thinking about it a bit more. And then um, since then, I've been working at another startup. And then like in February, kind of in between jobs now and then all of this COVID stuff happened. So now it's kind of in an in-between period of time for me um, and essentially keeping busy with all of these different podcasts and stuff. Um, but like, yeah, I felt like that time I went back over the last Christmas break, it was, it was an opportunity I should try and share. And, and I just did it. Yeah. Yeah. It, just based on hearing you guys' ex- experience, it really sounds like you guys were like coming out to your parents almost. Yeah. Like it was a pretty big monumental thing. Cause it's like, yeah. this is my authentic self. Like either deal with it or, or don't. Yeah. I, I'm artistic. I'm not, I'm not like you, a, a doctor, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it also helps that previously before um, being in co- copywriting, I was a professional poker player and they hated that. So really? it's almost wow, like I, I didn't set know that. the bar so low that anything is better than a poker player in their minds. Really? Wait, how long were you a professional poker player for? Uh, Like three years. Wow. I did not know that. Wait, was this before the copyright job? It was in between? Yeah, this is before. Um, Yeah, and and even with like poker, I showed them spreadsheets of how over time like I would make money and how it's not, it's not gambling, it's math, (laughs) right? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But they still, they, they, they had an intervention for me for that job. Where like they're like, let's go visit your aunts and uncles. Uh, we'll pay for the trip. Let's go to California. We fly there, wow. and like I got like every single aunt and uncle one by one, like telling me that like, that I should not be a poker player and stuff like that. And, oh my god, yeah. that that's legit. That's legit <laughs> ambush. That's like I'm taking you out of the country. There's yeah. nowhere you can go. <laughs> wow. So from that, they like stand up comedy is infinitely more acceptable to them yeah <laughs> that's funny <laughs> oh my god um sorry just on a side note joe you and i gotta talk because i've been playing a lot of like poker stars lately so. oh wow well, okay yeah sure. yeah I, yeah we'll, we'll chat yeah, oh, the game's harder these days like because oh. everybody's like got the skill or like the yeah, really anyone who's, who, who yeah like before there was because there was that whole boom when that guy named chris moneymaker won yeah Everyone was playing. I'd say there'd be like eight times the amount of players online and everyone was not good at it. So mm. you say it's a way slim. I don't think I could, I, I couldn't make it now. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think that's crazy. Like, I mean, actually, I don't know. I don't have any point of view. Like I always kind of thought poker would be cool to learn as well, but I guess for me, I never really got into the math. Like that, yeah. that you definitely need to know the math if you want to go professional. But the, the math, the math you can you can learn at like to a basic club like high school, right, right, right. And then yeah, the math yes. isn't like university complicated math. Yeah, right. It's like probability. At least I guess it's just a repetition and getting the instinct of understanding. You can pick up what the odds are. Yeah. Based on the different hands you play. Um, there's there's software that kind of like that's legal too that that oh tra- tracks everyone's uh, playing styles like yeah. so you you run the software overnight 
and just leave it running and it just has a database on everyone that plays. So mm. if you sit down at my table, I'll know that you play aggressively or not. I'll know if you bluff a lot or not. And so there's shark, there's sharks out there. So like, you're, wow. yeah, if you're not in, in the, have the same tools as them, they have a huge yep. advantage over you. Uh, interesting. I've been huh? playing raw the whole time, man. Just yeah. based on just, I feel like betting 10K, man, whatever. Play money, play money. Play money, yeah. play money, like just 10K throwing around. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. Um, yeah, we're, I guess we're coming up to the end of the, the podcast. Um, I guess one of the last question I want to ask you before we go into our little word association game, we have kind of a word association game at the end. Just uh, Amu's, oh, I'm going to use that wrong. I'm not even going to say it. It's like a palate cleanser. Um, yeah. at the end but I guess like before we go I do want to ask you because you know the pocket's all about making it and you're at a stage now where, where you're a professional working comic you get to do what you love I'm wondering like looking forward like what your big goals are in terms of like hitting a milestone you know um, like getting maybe like televised special I don't know it's like what is your goal now moving forward yeah. some of your goals uh, I think it'd be like getting a special on Netflix. That would be mm -hmm. the next big thing. Cause I've already cut out like, cause I'm pretty, like I said at the very beginning, I'm pretty content with where I'm at. Yeah. Uh, like I'd just be happy continuing to just do clubs and doing like long sets and stuff forever. Cause it's just a fun level to be at. Um, yeah. but yeah, getting a Netflix thing and, and I think I would start trying to maybe branch out into like screenwriting and stuff like that too on the side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think I have like some interesting immigrant stories to tell like about, you know, my dad and, and ex escape from Vietnam and all that stuff and, and parallel it to my like privileged life and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Oh, seems like the, yeah, seems like the next step is for a lot of comedians is to really be able to take your ideas, put it on kind of long form, yeah um versions of it but um cool well thank you so much joe for for giving us great insight yeah, um into the life of yeah, a professional comics me. thank you <laughs> and uh we'll, we'll just do our little quick word association game at the end uh it's kind of your simple word association where i'll say i'll say 10 words like one after each, each other and then first mm -hmm. word that comes to your mind uh just say it and then Lucas sure. will have uh, 10 words as well. <laughs> and it's, we've been trying it out. And so far, um, nobody's said it was bad. <laughs> so, yeah. okay. so we'll just give it a try. Um, okay, so clear your head. Um, first word, family. Man. Oh, sorry, it cut out a bit. Oh, I said man. Family man. Family man. Oh, family man. Okay, got it. Uh, second word, pineapple. Express. Rain. Cold. Alone. Me. Motivation. <laughs> Motivation. Get it. Get it. Uh, can I say two words? Yeah. Get uh, it. All right. Kumquat. Uh, dirty. Mountain. Uh, uh, big. Tightrope. Death. Satisfied. Porn. <laughs> Ending. My life. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Ooh, there's that dark. There's that dark comedy bit. Uh, Lucas. 
Awesome, awesome. Okay, you feel good? Feel good? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, suck. YouTube. Uh, uh, interesting. Stage. Play. Listening. Uh, quietly. Haters. Gonna hate. Problems. Solve. Mm, okay. Laugh. Loud. Favorite. Anime. Mm. Ooh, that's that was a that was one that yeah. That was good. That was good. Uh, uh person. Uh, friend. Last one. Joe. Boo. Um, there it is. All right. All right. <laughs> that's. Nice. That was Joe Vu, uh, one of my teachers, great stand-up comedian. Um, his, yeah, I encourage everybody to check check him out on uh, social media. His his first um, album is out. I think it's available on iTunes, right, for purchase. Yeah, like all the platforms. Perfect. Yeah, search it out. First generation uh, comedian is the album title. Um, Joe, what's your your handles and everything? Pretty much uh, Joe Vu comedy at. You know, YouTube, Instagram, whatever, Facebook. Cool, cool. Any anything else like you feel like promoing? Just like mention it out there. Uh, not just pretty much the albums. Pretty much what I've been pushing. It's not much else to push. <laughs> nothing yeah, going, yeah, especially, nothing going on. Especially now, yeah. Oh, um, oh my classes. Uh, yes. Yeah. So I just started my that that Zoom class. I'm pretty sure we'll do more. These seem pretty fun and the students are getting something out of it, even though it's not like at absolute. Right. Right. And it's uh the LOL comedy class normally is up at absolute comedy. Is there like a website for it right now? Yeah, uh, just send us an email. Uh, it, we have like a Facebook page for it. So you can Google LOL comedy class or just send us an email at LOL comedy class at gmail.com and we'll answer any questions you have. Cool. Yeah. I'll, uh, we'll put all that in the, the links um, in the YouTube, uh, YouTube version. Um, Lucas, what are your handles? Uh, you can find me at Lucas John Ng on Instagram and on Facebook. And Josh, uh, find me at Josh Yang Comedy, which I'm not gonna lie, I kind of stole that structure from you, Joe. Because perfect, right? It's very clear, very concise. Is like if anybody's looking for it, it's obviously gonna be the first one. So yes, yeah. learn that lesson. Uh, Josh Yang Comedy, and um, yeah, you could also listen to my Sleep with Josh podcast where. I mean, it was Canada Day yesterday or a couple days ago, So yesterday. So I read the Charter of Canadian Rights uh, and Freedoms. So you can listen to that when you go to sleep. Um, but yes, also, please uh, like and subscribe uh, on the YouTube channel and listen to across all platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google. And uh, yeah, that's it. Great. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Awesome. All right. We'll see you guys next week. All right. See you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.